Section 5 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. It was agreed that I should go on to Aguachapa and endeavor to have other mules ready early the next morning. But in the meantime, the captain conceived some suspicions of the old man and woman, and resolved not to remain that night in the village. Fortunately, my mule revived and began to eat. Don Saturnino repeated his sta bueno, with which he had cheered us throughout the perplexities of the day, and we determined to set out again. Neither of us had any luggage he was willing to leave, for in all probability he would never see it again. We loaded our saddle-beasts and walked. Immediately on leaving the village, we commenced ascending the mountain of Aguachapa, the longest and worst in the whole road in the wet season requiring two days to cross it. A steep pitch at the beginning made me tremble for the result. The ascent was about three miles, and on the very crest, embowered among the trees, was a blacksmith's shop, commanding a view of the whole country back to the village, and on the other side of the slope of the mountain to the plain of Aguachapa. The clink of the hammer and the sight of the smith's grimed face seemed a profanation of the beauties of the scene. Here our difficulties were over. The rest of our road was downhill. The road lay along the ridge of the mountain. On our right we looked down the perpendicular side to a plain two thousand feet below us, and in front on another part of the same plain were the lake and town of Aguachapa. Instead of going direct to the town, we turned round the foot of the mountain and came into a field smoking with hot springs. The ground was encrusted with sulphur and dried and baked by subterranean fires. In some places were large orifices, from which steam rushed out violently and with noise, and in others large pools or lakes, one of them a hundred and fifty feet in circumference, of dark brown water, boiling with monstrous bubbles three or four feet high which Homer might have made the headwaters of Acheron. All around, for a great extent, the earth was in a state of combustion, burning our boots and frightening the horses, and we were obliged to be careful to keep the horses from falling through. At some distance was a stream of sulphur water, which we followed up to a broad basin, made a dam with stones and bushes, and had a most refreshing warm bath. It was nearly dark when we entered the town, the frontier of the state, and the outpost of danger. All were on the tiptoe of expectation for news from Guatemala. Riding through the plaza, we saw a new corps of about two hundred, quotes, patriot soldiers, uniformed and equipped at evening drill, which was a guarantee against the turbulence we had seen in Izalco. Colonel Angola, the commandant, was the same who had broken up the band of Rascon. Everyone we met was astonished at our purpose of going on to Guatemala, and it was vexatious and discouraging to have ominous cautions perpetually dinned into our ears. We rode to the house of the widow Padilla, a friend of Don Saturnino, whom we found in great affliction. 
her eldest son on a visit to guatemala on business with a regular passport had been thrown into prison by carrera and had then been a month in confinement and she had just learned what had been concealed from her that the other son a young man just twenty-one had joined morazan's expedition our purpose of going to guatemala opened the fountain of her sorrows she mourned for her sons but the case of the younger seemed to give her most distress she mourned that he had become a soldier she had seen so much of the horrors of war and as if speaking of a truant boy begged us to urge general morazan to send him home she was still in black for their father who was a personal friend of general morazan and had besides three daughters all young women the eldest not more than twenty-three married to colonel molina the second in command all were celebrated in that country for their beauty and though the circumstances of the night prevented my seeing much of them i looked upon this as one of the most ladylike and interesting family groups i had seen in the country our first inquiry was for mules colonel molina the son-in-law after endeavoring to dissuade us from continuing sent out to make inquiries and the result was that there were none to hire but there was a man who had two to sell and who promised to bring them early in the morning we had vexations enough without adding any between ourselves but unfortunately the captain and don saturnino had an angry quarrel growing out of the breaking down of the mules i was appealed to by both and in trying to keep the peace came near having both upon me the dispute was so violent that none of the female part of the family appeared in the sala and while it was pending colonel molina was called off by a message from the commandant in half an hour he returned and told us that two soldiers had just entered the town who reported that morazan had been defeated in his attack on guatemala and his whole army routed and cut to pieces that he himself with fifteen dragoons was escaping by the way of the coast and the whole of carrera's army was in full pursuit the soldiers were at first supposed to be deserters but they were recognized by some of the town's people and after a careful examination and calculation of the lapse of time since the last intelligence the news was believed to be true the consternation it created in our little household cannot be described morazan's defeat was the death knell of sons and brothers it was not a moment for strangers to offer idle consolation and we withdrew our own plans were unsettled the very dangers i feared had happened the soldiers who had been kept together in masses were disbanded to sweep every road in the country with the ferocity of partisan war but for the night we could do nothing our men were already asleep and not without apprehensions the captain and i retired to a room opening upon the courtyard don saturnino wrapped himself in his poncho and lay down under the corridor 
none of us undressed but the fatigue of the day had been so great that i soon fell into a profound sleep at one o'clock we were roused by colonel molina shouting in the doorway la gente viene the people are coming his sword glittered his spurs rattled and by the moonlight i saw men saddling horses in the courtyard we sprang up in a moment and he told us to save ourselves la gente were coming and within two hours march of the town my first question was what had become of the soldiers they were already marching out everybody was preparing to fly he intended to escort the ladies to a hiding place in the mountains and then to overtake the soldiers i must confess that my first thought was devil take the hindmost and i ordered nicholas who was fairly blubbering with fright to saddle for a start the captain however objected insisting that to fly would be to identify ourselves with the fugitives and if we were overtaken with them we should certainly be massacred don saturnino proposed to set out on our journey and go straight on to a hacienda two leagues beyond if we met them on the road we would appear as travellers in their hurry they would let us pass and at all events we would avoid the dangers of a general sacking and plunder of the town i approved of this suggestion the fact is i was for anything that would put us on horseback but the captain again opposed it violently unluckily he had four large heavy trunks containing jewelry and other valuables and no mules to carry them i made a hurried but feeling comment upon the comparative value of life and property but the captain said that all he was worth in the world was in those trunks he would not leave them he would not risk them on the road he would defend them as long as he had life and taking them up one by one from the corridor he piled them inside of our little sleeping room shut the door and swore that nobody should get into them without passing over his dead body now i for my own part would have taken a quiet stripping and by no means approved this desperate purpose of the captain's the fact is i was very differently situated from him my property was chiefly in horse-flesh and mule-flesh at the moment the most desirable thing in which money could be invested and with two hours start i would have defied all the cachurecos in guatemala to catch me but the captain's determination put an end to all thoughts of testing the soundness of my investment and perhaps at all events it was best to remain i entered the house where the old lady and her daughters were packing up their valuables and passed through to the street the church bells were tolling with a frightful sound and a horseman with a red banneret on the point of his lance was riding through the streets warning the inhabitants to fly horses were standing before the doors saddled and bridled and all along men were issuing from the doors with loads on their backs and women with packages and bundles in their hands and hurrying children before them the moon was beaming with unrivalled splendor the women did not scream the children did not cry terror was in every face and movement but too deep 
for utterance. I walked down to the church. The cura was at the altar, receiving hurried confessions and administering the sacrament, and as the wretched inhabitants left the altar, they fled from the town. I saw a poor mother searching for a missing child, but her friends in hoarse whispers said, La gente viene, and hurried her away. A long line of fugitives, with loaded mules interspersed, was moving from the door of the church, and disappearing beneath the brow of the hill. It was the first time I ever saw terror operating upon masses, and I hope never to see it again. I went back to the house. The family of Padilla had not left, and the poor widow was still packing up. We urged Colonel Molina to hasten. As commandant, he would be the first victim. He knew his danger, but in a tone of voice that told the horrors of this partisan war, said he could not leave behind him the young women. In a few moments all was ready. The old lady gave us the key of the house. We exchanged the Spanish farewell with a mutual recommendation to God, and sadly and silently they left the town. Colonel Molina remained a moment behind. Again he urged us to fly, saying that the enemy were robbers, murderers, and assassins, who would pay no respect to person or character, and disappointment at finding the town deserted would make them outrageous with us. He drove his spurs into his horse, and we never saw him again. On the steps of the church were sick and infirm old men and children, and the cura's house was thronged with the same helpless beings. Except these, we were left in sole possession of the town. It was not yet an hour since we had been roused from sleep. We had not been able to procure any definite information as to the character of the approaching force. The alarm was, la gente viene. No one knew or thought of more. No one paid any attention to us, and we did not know whether the whole army of Carrera was approaching, or merely a roving detachment. If the former, my hope was that Carrera was with them, and that he had not forgotten my diplomatic coat. I felt rejoiced that the soldiers had marched out, and that the inhabitants had fled. There could be no resistance, no bloodshed, nothing to excite a lawless soldiery. Again we walked down to the church. Old women and little boys gathered around us, and wondered that we did not fly. We went to the door of the cura's house. The room was small and full of old women. We tried to cheer them, but old age had lost its garrulity. They waited their fate in silence. We returned to the house, smoked, and waited in anxious expectation. The enemy did not come. The bell ceased its frightful tolling, and after a while we began to wish they would come and let us have the thing over. We went out and looked and listened but there was neither sound nor motion. We became positively tired of waiting. There were still two hours to daylight. We lay down and, strange to say, again fell asleep. Chapter 5 Approach of Carrera's Forces Terror of the Inhabitants Their Flight 
surrender of the town ferocity of the soldiery a bulletin diplomacy a passport a breakfast an alarm the widow padilla an attack defeat of carrera's forces the town taken by general morazan his entry the widow's son visit to general morazan his appearance character etc plans deranged it was broad daylight when we woke without any machete cuts and still in undisturbed possession of the town my first thought was for the mules they had eaten up their sacate and had but a poor chance for more but i sent them immediately to the river for water they had hardly gone when a little boy ran in from the church and told us that la gente were in sight we hurried back with him and the miserable beings on the steps with new terrors supposing that we were friends of the invaders begged us to save them followed by three or four trembling boys we ascended to the steeple and saw the cachurecos at a distance descending the brow of a hill in single file their muskets glittering in the sunbeams we saw that it was not the whole of carrera's army but apparently only a pioneer company but there were too many for us and the smallness of their numbers gave them the appearance of a lawless predatory band they had still to cross a long plain and ascend the hill on which the town was built the bell-rope was in reach of my hand i gave it one strong pull and telling the boys to sound loud the alarm hurried down as we passed out of the church we heard loud cries from the old women in the house of the cura and the old men and children on the steps asked us whether they would be murdered the mules had not returned and afraid of their being intercepted in the street i ran down a steep hill toward the river and meeting them hurried back to the house while doing so i saw at the extreme end of the street a single soldier moving cautiously and watching carefully every house as if suspecting treachery he advanced with a letter directed to colonel angola the captain told him that he must seek angola among the mountains we inquired the name of his commanding officer how many men he had said that there was no one to oppose him and forthwith surrendered the town the man could hardly believe that it was deserted general figueroa did not know it he had halted at a short distance afraid to make the attack at night and was then expecting immediate battle he himself could not have been much better pleased at avoiding it than we were the envoy returned and in a short time we saw at the extreme end of the street the neck of a horse protruding from the cross street on the left a party of cavalry armed with lances followed formed at the head of the street looking about them carefully as if still suspecting an ambush in a few moments general figueroa mounted on a fierce little horse without uniform but with dark wool saddle-cloth pistols and basket-hilted sword making a warlike appearance came up leading the van we took off our hats as he approached our door and he returned the salute about a hundred lancers followed him two abreast with red flags on the end of their lances and pistols in their holsters 
in passing one ferocious-looking fellow looked fiercely at us and grasping his lance cried viva carrera we did not answer it immediately and he repeated it in a tone that brought forth the response louder and more satisfactory from the spite with which it was given the next man repeated it and the next and before we were aware of our position every lancer that passed in a tone of voice regulated by the gentleness or the ferocity of his disposition and sometimes with a most threatening scowl put to us as a touchstone viva carrera the infantry were worse than the lancers in appearance being mostly indians ragged half-naked with old straw hats and barefooted armed with muskets and machetes and many with old-fashioned spanish blunderbusses they vied with each other in sharpness and ferocity and sometimes actually leveling their pieces cried at us viva carrera we were taken completely unawares there was no escape and i believe they would have shot us down on the spot if we had refused to echo the cry i compromised with my dignity by answering no louder than the urgency of the case required but i never passed through a more trying ordeal don saturnino had had the prudence to keep out of sight but the captain who had intended to campaign against these fellows never flinched and when the last man passed added an extra viva carrera i again felt rejoiced that the soldiers had left the town and that there had been no fight it would have been a fearful thing to fall into the hands of such men with their passions roused by resistance and bloodshed reaching the plaza they gave a general shout of viva carrera and stacked their arms in a few minutes a party of them came down to our house and asked for breakfast but when we could not give them that they begged a medio or sixpence by degrees others came in until the room was full they were really no great gainers by taking the town they had had no breakfast and the town was completely stripped of eatables we inquired the news from guatemala and bought from them several copies of the parte oficial of the supreme government headed viva la patria viva el general carrera the enemy quotes has been completely exterminated in his attack upon this city which he intended to devastate the tyrant morazan flies terrified leaving the plaza and streets strewn with corpses sacrificed to his criminal ambition the principal officers associated in his staff have perished etc eternal glory to the invincible chief general carrera and the valiant troops under his command they told us that carrera with three thousand men was in full pursuit in a little while the demand for sixpences became so frequent that afraid of being supposed to have mucha plata we walked to the plaza to present ourselves to general figueroa and settle the terms of our surrender or at all events to quotes, define our position we found him at the cabildo 
quite at home with a parcel of officers white men mestizos and mulattoes smoking and interrogating some old men from the church as to the movements of colonel angola and the soldiers the time of their setting out and the direction they took he was a young man all the men in that country were young about thirty-two or three dressed in a snuff-colored cloth roundabout jacket and pantaloons of the same color and off his war-horse and away from his assassin-like band had very much the air of an honest man it was one of the worst evils of this civil war that no respect was paid to the passports of opposite parties the captain had only his san salvador passport which was here worse than worthless don saturnino had a variety from partisan commandants and upon this occasion made use of one from a colonel under ferrera the captain introduced me by the title of senor ministro del norte america and i made myself acceptable by saying that i had been to san salvador in search of a government and had not been able to find any the fact is although i was not able to get into regular business i was practicing diplomacy on my own account all the time and in order to define at once and clearly our relative positions i undertook to do the honors of the town and invited general figueroa and all his officers to breakfast this was a bold stroke but talleyrand could not have touched a nicer cord they had not eaten anything since noon the day before and i believe they would have evacuated their empty conquest for a good breakfast all around they accepted my invitation with a promptness that put an end to my small stock of provisions for the road general figueroa confirmed the intelligence of morazan's defeat and flight and carrera's pursuit and the quotes, invincible chief would perhaps have been somewhat surprised at the pleasure i promised myself in meeting him with a very few moments interchange of opinion we made up our minds to get out of this frontier town as soon as possible and again to go forward i had almost abandoned ulterior projects and looked only to personal safety to go back we reasoned would carry us into the very focus of war and danger the san salvador people were furious against strangers and the honduras troops were invading them on one side and carrera's hordes on the other to remain where we were was certain exposure to attacks from both parties by going on we would meet carrera's troops and if we passed them we left war behind us we had but one risk and that would be tested in a day under this belief i told the general that we designed proceeding to guatemala and that it would add to our security to have his passport it was the general's first campaign he was then only a few days in service having set off in a hurry to get possession of this town and cut off morazan's retreat he was flattered by the request and said that his passport would be indispensable his aide and secretary had been a clerk in an apothecary's shop in guatemala and therefore understood the respect 
due to a ministro, and said that he would make it out himself. I was all eagerness to get possession of this passport. The captain, in courtesy, said we were in no hurry. I dismissed courtesy, and said that we were in a hurry, that we must set out immediately after breakfast. I was afraid of postponements, delays, and accidents, and in spite of impediments and inconveniences, I persisted till I got the secretary down at the table, who, without any trouble, and by a mere flourish of the pen, made me ministro plenipotentiario. The captain's name was inserted in the passport, General Figueroa signed it, and I put it in my pocket after which I breathed more freely. We returned to the house, and in a few minutes the general, his secretary, and two mulatto officers came over to breakfast. It was very considerate in them that they did not bring more. Our guests cared more for quantity than quality, and this was the particular in which we were most deficient. We had plenty of chocolate, a stock of bread for the road, and some eggs that were found in the house. We put on the table all that we had, and gave the general the seat of honor at the head. One of the officers preferred sitting away on a bench and eating his eggs with his fingers. It is unpleasant for a host to be obliged to mark the quantity that his guests eat, but I must say I was agreeably disappointed. If I had been breakfasting with them instead of vice versa, I could have astonished them as much as their voracious ancestors did the Indians. The breakfast was a neat fit. There was none over, and I believe nothing short. There was but one unpleasant circumstance attendant upon it. That is, General Figueroa requested us to wait an hour until he could prepare dispatches to Carrera, advising him of his occupation of Aguachapa. I was extremely anxious to get away while the game was good. Of General Figueroa and his secretary we thought favorably, but we saw that he had no control over his men, and as long as we were in the town we should be subject to their visits, inquiries, and importunities, and some difficulties might arise. At the same time dispatches to Carrera would be a great security on the road, Don Saturnino undertook to set off with the luggage, and we, glad of the opportunity of traveling without any encumbrance, charged him to push on as fast as he could, not to stop for us, and we would overtake him. In about an hour we walked over to the plaza for the dispatches, but unluckily found ourselves in a new scene of confusion. Figueroa was already in the saddle, the lancers were mounting in haste, and all running to arms. A scout had brought in word that Colonel Angola, with the soldiers of the town, was hovering on the skirt of the mountain, and our friends were hurrying to attack them. In a moment the lancers were off on a gallop, and the ragged infantry snatched up their guns and ran after them, keeping up with the horses. The letter to Carrera was partly written, and the aide-de-camp asked us to wait, telling us that the affair would soon be over. He was left in command of about seventy or eighty men, and we sat down with him under the corridor of the quartel. 
he was several years younger than figueroa more intelligent and seemed very amiable except on political matters and there he was savage against the morazan party he was gentlemanly in his manners but his coat was out at the elbows and his pantaloons were torn he said he had a new frock coat for which he had paid sixteen dollars but which did not fit him and he wished to sell it i afterwards spoke of him to one of morazan's officers whom i would believe implicitly except in regard to political opponents who told me that this same secretary stole a pair of pantaloons from him and he had no doubt the coat was stolen from somebody else there was no order or discipline among the men the soldiers lay about the quartel joined in the conversation or strolled through the town as they pleased the inhabitants had fortunately carried away everything portable two or three times a foraging party returned with a horse or mule and once they were all roused by an alarm that angola was returning upon the town in another direction immediately all snatched up their arms and at least one half without a moment's warning took to their heels we had a fair chance of having the town again upon our hands but the alarm proved groundless we could not however but feel uncomfortable at the facility with which our friends abandoned us and the risk we ran of being identified with them there were three brothers the only lancers who did not go out with figueroa white men young and athletic the best dressed and best armed in the company swaggering in their manner and disposed to cultivate an acquaintance with us they told us that they proposed going to guatemala but i shrank from them instinctively eluded their questions as to when we intended to set out and i afterward heard that they were natives of the town and had been compelled to leave it on account of their notorious characters as assassins one of them as we thought in a mere spirit of bravado provoked a quarrel with the aide-de-camp strutted before the quartel and in the hearing of all said that they were under no man's orders they only joined general figueroa to please themselves and would do as they thought proper in the meantime a few of the townsmen who had nothing to lose among them an alguacil finding there was no massacring had returned or emerged from their hiding-places and we procured a guide to be ready the moment general figueroa should return went back to the house and to our surprise found the widow padilla there she had been secreted somewhere in the neighborhood and had heard by means of an old woman's servant of the general's breakfasting with us and our intimacy with him we inquired for her daughter's safety but not where they were for we had already found that we could answer inquiries better when we knew nothing end of section five